0: To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Retired pastor and author, rodney buchanan gave a an illustration about being judged too quickly he stated the super bowl which is going to be coming up soon is known as much for its commercials as it is for football and super bowl 39 was no difference ameriquest mortgage company sponsored two ads one had a man coming home with a bag of groceries and a bouquet of flowers he begins dinner by starting a pot of spaghetti sauce, and as he as it simmers, he quickly sets the table where he has placed candles and arranged the flowers. He wants to do something really really nice for his wife but as he cuts up the vegetables with a large knife their furry white cat gets on top of the counter and tips over the pan full of red sauce landing on the floor in the middle of it and the poor guy picks up the cat dripping with this bloody red sauce in one hand while holding the large knife in the other as the wife walks through the front door at this point the commercial flashes the sign don't judge too quickly, we won't. The second commercial had a man talking on a cell phone as he enters a convenience store. He's talking to a friend and he says, well, that's a lot of money for a deck. He picks up a drink, goes to the counter and says to his friend, I hate to tell you this, but you are getting robbed. The owner behind the counter with his back turns when he hears what the man is saying looks into the security man uh, uh, security mirror just as the man puts his hands inside his jacket and again tells his friend did you hear me you're getting robbed at this point the store owner spins around and sprays him in the eyes with mace the owner's wife runs around and shocks him with a cattle prod as her husband jumps over the counter with a baseball bat and begins to wail on him and as he lays dazed on the floor the words appear don't judge too quickly we won't so those ads are popular for reasons because they're really humorous but they get to the point really quickly people have been judged hastily they have been judged unfairly in different times and so we need to understand that this also could be the possibility of why the chapter begins the way it does in this uh, ninth chapter it says I'm speaking the truth in Christ I'm not lying so Folks, when we study the Bible, one method of studying is try to put yourself in the shoes of the person who is writing. Try to feel his emotions. Try to feel the drama that is there that exists around the events, the circumstances, and the people. So in understanding this passage, we need to that understand that Paul is possibly responding to the judgment that he's been hearing circulated about what he is saying because this is not the first letter he wrote. He wrote many different letters before he wrote to Rome and at that point in time, he has some very accusatory things to say about his brethren, the Jews. And even in this chapter, in this book, they possibly could be not understanding where Paul is coming from. And so he may be responding to a judgment concerning rumors that he's hearing that he doesn't like the Jews. So as we look at this chapter, we look at the first thing we see is Paul's plea. Three different things he says. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Why in the world? This is what he's saying. Why, why is he saying these things? Because he's saying this. Please believe me in all the things that I've said before. Please believe me. Now haven't you or others close to you asked those same words? That you've pleaded with people to believe you when you tell them a story? Or you tell them that something happened? Or why did you do this? Why did you do this? Why well, did this because of this. And they go, no, you didn't. And you go, please. Please believe me. It is true. This is what Paul is saying. He is begging them to see that he is not anti-Jewish but if you go back into Romans chapter 2, you can see why they, they can think those things. Here's what it says. It says, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide of the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, and an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law an embodiment of knowledge and truth, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Why? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You see what he's saying? He's saying, Jews... God's name's being blasphemed because of what you're saying and what you're doing. So it could be construed that the Jews think that Paul doesn't like them. Even in Romans 3, he said, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we've already charged that, that both Jews and Greeks are under sin as it, written, as it is written, No one is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. You see, as they were seeking to fulfill the law, They believe they were righteous and here's paul saying you're not righteous oh you're you're anti-jewish but he has to appeal to them he's having to tell them this argument and he's saying it forcefully saying i'm speaking the truth and i'm speaking the truth in christ i'm saying i have been changed by the power of the christ Uh, power of christ the truth dwells in me through christ i'm not contradicting his word to us and folks that's how we really should respond to other people as well what we say should be a reflection of who we are in christ in other words his truth tempers our or controls our conversations we don't go outside of his claims we stay with truth we are not being ungodly in our conversations conversations concerning the reality of salvation and spiritual things we stay with the truth paul is staying with the truth i am speaking the truth in christ but he goes on further and he says i'm not lying that's not who i am anymore i'm not lying in fact he tells the ephesians if you remember ephesians he says therefore having put away falsehood some of your translations say this therefore stop lying And he's trying to communicate to them to say, I'm not lying. I am speaking the truth. Then he says, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. So now Paul is appealing to his conscience. And so we have to understand, what is conscience? Conscience is the ability to sense right and wrong. Now everyone has a conscience. Whether they're saved or they're unsaved, everybody has a conscience. Conscience guides us to do what we believe to be right, restrains us from what we believe to be wrong. The conscience knows our inner thoughts, knows our motives, it knows our desires. That's part of the conscience. And Puritan Richard Sibb says this, The conscience assumes every role in the courtroom drama. It's a register to record what we've done. It's an accuser that lodges a complaint against us when we are guilty. It's a defender to side with us in our innocence. And it is a witness giving testimony for or against us. And so this is what Paul is saying. I have witness and I have a testimony. I'm not lying what I write to you. Now, Paul gives the reason for the plea and it's revealed through his pain. Now, what is happening is that Paul is trying to establish, look guys, I am not lying to you. I'm going to tell you something. Even though I've written all these things about the Jews, about their state, about how they're trusting in the law for righteousness and not trusting Christ, I don't hate them. Some of you may think that, but I do not hate them. I have this witness within me. The Holy Spirit is aiding me in what I am saying. And he goes on to say, Verse 2, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Do you see what he's saying? I'm not lying. I love you. He's basically saying, as we stated in his illustration, don't judge so quickly. My concern is for you. And so why does he have this pain? Look at verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. In other words, he knows that they are accursed. He knows they are cut off from Christ if they do not believe in Christ. And really, he's echoing exactly what Jesus said to Jewish leaders, Matthew 8, verse 10 and following. It says this, When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who follow him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. The context of that is that the Roman centurion came to him and said, I've got someone at home. They are my servant. He's going to die. But I know that if you just command that he be healed from where you are, he's going to be healed. And Jesus responds, I haven't found such faith in all of Israel. Do you see the accusation he's making towards Israel? They don't have faith. But he goes on to say I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see what he's saying? My pain exactly what Christ is saying is because they're cursed. They're cut off from Christ. That's exactly what Christ is saying. You're going to be out in the outer darkness, and yet the Gentiles are coming in. Those from the east and the west, they're coming in. Matthew 21, verse 28 and following, it says, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. John, for John came to you in the way of the will, righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe him. And Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. So you see, when Paul is saying, look, you've got to believe me. I, I know that my brethren are cut off and they are accursed and it causes me great pain. He's only repeating the same thing that Jesus has said to the Jews themselves saying you have been cut off you have been uh, accursed so now what's happening is that cuts him to the heart he even wishes listen to the verses he wishes that he could be accursed for i could wish that i myself were accursed notice he wishes because he knows he can't be because he's in christ Or everything that he said in chapter 8 would be null and void. Remember, chapter 8 says there's nothing that is going to separate us from the love of Christ. So therefore, he's saying, I wish I could, but I can't. But it pains him to the heart that they have not seen what he has seen. He has anguish. That They don't experience what he has experienced. And he states as much when he says in the following verses. Listen to what he says. They are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Paul is appeals to their great heritage and to their great covenants. They have all the blessings of God Yet they reject the greatest blessing of all, which is Jesus Christ. And so, Paul is saying, my anguish and I have tears over their lostness. And Paul is brokenhearted. We should be able to relate to him emotionally, dear people, when we see those closest to us not responding to the gospel nor responding to that way of life. We see our own children rejecting the way that they were raised by their lifestyles, by their habits and their speech, and it pains us if they do not experience or exhibit the fruits of righteousness. Folks, some of you know your kids, that you raise them in church. You raise them in the right perspective, you raise them in the right way, it pains you and tears your heart out when you see them going away from what and how you raise them. It does. So you should be able to, to experience what Paul's experiencing. He is saying, Goodness, what are they doing? We have done so much. We have seen so much. We have experienced so much. And yet they choose to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we see those things, we have pains. It's just like Proverbs. This is, it proves that the Bible is true. Notice what Proverbs said, verse, 15, verse uh, chapter 15, verse 20. A wise son makes a glad father. But a foolish man despises his mother. Proverbs 17, 25. A foolish son is a grief. A grief to his father. And bitterness to her who bore him. Do you feel the emotion when we say that? When you look at your son or you look at your daughter. And you look at their lifestyle and you know that's not how you raise them. And yet they go their own way. You have grief. Is what Paul is saying. Proverbs 19, 13 says, A foolish son is ruin to his father. If you want me to complete that, it says, A wife's quarreling is a continual, dripping of, a continual dripping of rain. But the main emphasis is this a foolish son is ruin to his father. Your children know the grace of God. Paul anguishes over them. I had a conversation with my father-in-law in one, uh, on one Sunday. And he said, one of the greatest joys for me is to see my children, as it says in 2 John, walking in truth. He said, but I get around my grandchildren. And it hurts me that they were raised in church. They were raised in the values of Christ, not Following Christ. It's a pain and it's a sorrow to me. That is so true with Paul. Paul is saying, look, this is so hard. This is an anguish. I see that they have everything. Look what they have. They have adoption. They have been taken out of all the nations and have been adopted by God. They have been given the glory of God. His presence. They have the covenants of where he will never go back on his covenants and his calling, they have the giving of the law, they have the standards of worship, they have everything, and yet they still reject him. That is painful. So, brethren, what does that tell us practically speaking? Parents, here it is, while your children are young, you have to teach them the word of God teach them the word of god that's why we put in this bulletin each and every week that's why we hired brother philip as our family pastor we put these things in there so you can share them with your young children so that they would know you share the gospel with them as much as you can we've given parents and have booklets talking about how to share the gospel with your kids you go to God and you plead for their soul I was telling a Sunday school the Sunday school class this morning back during the days of the 1700s parents were very very intentional about sharing the gospel with their little children and their teenage middle you know middle-aged children their teenage children whoever it was because the mortality rate was so low you didn't know what was going to happen i was reading uh, in a section about the life of jonathan edwards and his early life where they constantly told him and his and his siblings about the gospel because there were times where they had to run from indians and a son as they were crossing a river was swept down at four years old swept away to his death and another one was captured and killed by the Indians at a very young age. These were realities that were happening back here in America in the 1700s. And parents were so intentional about sharing the gospel with them and pleading and praying for their kids and for their salvation. We should be doing the same. Because here's a point. I want you to understand this. We do not know If they will believe in the Savior. But we trust that they will. And we will do everything in our effort to lead them to the Savior. Listen to what Spurgeon stated. He said this. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap into hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, employing them, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Now folks, here's, here's an accusation. Here is a judgment that we get for those of us who believe in predestination and in election like we do, they will say, you have no desire for the lost. You have no desire for people to be saved because you believe that since people are going to be elected, it's going to happen anyway. So therefore, y'all don't do any kind of evangelism. You don't do it. And that is absolutely not true. It's not true. We don't know who the elect are. But we do have... An imperative from Christ is to go out and to preach the gospel. So we go out and we plead and we pray. And we share the gospel with people in every way that we can. That's what we try to do. And why do we do that? Well, Acts 18 chapter 10 says this. We can gain encouragement for it. It says, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking And do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. That is an astounding statement. I have many in this city who are my people. Again, Spurgeon said this of that same verse. This should be a great encouragement in proclaiming the gospel since among the people in our communities, the disinterested, the rebellious, the careless, God has an elect people who must be saved. And when you take the word to them, you do so because God has has ordained you to be the messenger of life to their souls. And they must receive it For so the decree of predestination runs. They are as much redeemed by the blood as the saints before the eternal throne. They are Christ's property. And yet perhaps they are lovers of selfish pleasures. Haters of holiness. But if Jesus Christ purchased them, he will have them. God is not unfaithful to forget the price that his son has paid. He will not suffer his substitution to be, in any case, an ineffectual dead thing. Tens of thousands of redeemed ones are not regenerated yet, but regenerated they must be. And this is our comfort when we go to them with the quickening of the word of God. In fact, we will get over in chapter 10 where it says, and I'll just kind of read this to you just real quickly, in chapter 10. It says, How then will they call on him who have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who have they not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? For as written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. So how... Do they hear? It's through the preaching of the word. It's through the teaching of the word. It's through the giving of the word. We don't know who they are, but they should. we should be in anguish for their souls, especially our relatives, especially our children. Whatever we can do, plead and pray and ask God to give you a burden for those who are lost, especially in your family. Because you do not know if they are the elect of God, I don't either. So what do we do? We saturate them with the gospel. I, I am fortunate in this regard that my wife is very concerned about my side of the family. Notice I said my side of the family. Hers is okay, So, but it's my side of the family. At Christmas, it was really kind of interesting. She asked me to order some gospel tracts the cartoon kinds that says are you a good person so she went out and bought all my nephews and nieces cards Christmas cards never done that before Christmas cards I said what are you doing she goes I'm giving you Christmas cards to your nieces and nephews because we know they don't know the Lord and so inside that she put those she put those tracks and we gathered for dinner people opened some gifts and she waited at the door as they were leaving because she didn't want to have arguments with people over this, that, because we have some of my nieces who are dating flat out atheists which is a sad deal and we have had some heated conversations over the years so what she did was is that she put them at the door as they walked out the door she handed it to them said Merry Christmas here's a Christmas card inside there there is a free gift i pray that you read it but not now but when you get home and she handed out those kind of things why because she has a burden a burden for the lost especially in my family which i do too now have we heard anything anybody called us up and said hey I read this little thing I hate it or I read this little thing and I've loved it and I've repented and I've come to Christ no we haven't heard anything like that but it's the word of God going forth folks if you have trouble speaking to people about Jesus Christ openly certainly you can leave them a track somewhere certainly you can pass things out certainly you can ask people to read things that you can give to them and that the word of God goes there because we know that the word of God does not come back void. It's going to accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. It just does that. There are times when I walk into Walmart and we have some here if you want some. I go dig them up. and I have a bunch at my house. I put those $1 million bills that I've passed out, I put them in my pocket as I'm walking through Walmart. You know the reason? Because people stop and stare and they go... Because the one million is right, like right here. And you know, I know I can share the gospel with them just like that. But you know what I do? Oh, would you like a million dollars? And I take it off and I hand it to them. I said, be sure to read the back and I walk off. Why? I trust the word of God. If they read it, the word of God is there. So folks, we need to do that same thing. We need to have a passion. And let me tell you just something, just honestly. Do I have this kind of burden that I want to be accursed and cut off from Christ for my brethren? No. I don't. And that burdens me. That burdens me. Preacher, you're you're a preacher of the gospel. You should be burdened for the lost. Oh no, there's times that I just go they're going their way we're responsible just to teach the word of god let's just teach but i can't be that way i have to then come back to the and i pray regularly lord give me a burden for the lost. give me this burden let me be like paul let it burn in my heart let it pain me so that i'll be sure to be reminded Maybe I need to pass out a track. Maybe I need to witness. Maybe I need to make a phone call. Whatever it is, I need that burden, O oh Lord. So I pray that that becomes our burden as well. But understand, if we're going to get into this. We'll get into it further next week, verse 6. You know, he says, not all of Israel is of Israel. There are some, there's a remnant, as we talked about last week. There is a remnant that will be saved. And he knows that so he's not totally discouraged he knows the word of God is true so we're going to see more of that next week but make this a challenge to yourself someone in your family needs a word needs the word they're not with you, they're not around you what would a letter do? a card, writing something down sticking a track in there and said the Lord Jesus brought you to mind today I'm just giving you this card to let you know I'm praying for you and here's something inside I'd like for you to read simple as that but get a burden pray ask to be like Paul let's pray Father I thank you that this burden that Paul had can be translated to us as well Father because you work that in him Through the Holy Spirit, now, Lord, we ask that you would work that same thing in us for those who are without you. Lord, we don't know whom you have called to yourself. Lord, we know that we should be obedient still in proclaiming the gospel for that's the method you have chosen to bring them to yourself. So, Father, we just ask that you give us that burden. Let us be burdened, not only for our families and for our friends, but, Lord, burdened for those across this nation and across this world so that we may do what we do relevant. Lord, that we do what we do so that people can know. But, Lord, that we would know also. Lord, help us to know that your word is good and that you will bring people to yourself. And so we thank you that we have that opportunity and that responsibility. Burn it in us, O Lord, and ask it in Jesus' name.